Our text this morning is found in Numbers 6, verses 22 through 27. Many of you probably don't know that scripture reference off the top of your head, but this text is very familiar to us. It's the benediction that is commonly used at the end of our worship service. Pastor Scott will usually say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. I've mentioned to Pastor Scott before that, that this benediction, just, just these 30 words, could be the whole sermon. So I know what you're thinking. Why don't I just read these words from the Bible and forget the sermon, right? We all get out a half hour early and you can beat the lunch rush to your usual after church restaurant, right? Well, nice try. I can't let you off that easy. I'm going to make you sit here for the full hour, unfortunately. But with all, with all jokes aside, it really is important for us to understand a little bit deeper what this benediction means. We hear it almost every Sunday, and the words sound nice, but what do they really mean? This benediction has been something I've wanted to explore for some time. And as I share my findings with you, it's my hope that we can gain a deeper understanding of the word's meaning. I want them to go beyond just being nice words to making an impression on our hearts. And we, we know this benediction's been around for a long time. Obviously, if we see them at the beginning of Numbers, they're old words. And we know this benediction has been said at the end of worship going all the way back to Moses and Aaron's time. But not only that, it's important to note they've been making an impression on people for a long time too. And for example, in 1979, an archaeological dig found this benediction inscribed on two small silver scrolls, and these scrolls would have predated the Dead Sea Scrolls. These small silver scrolls were found at the burial site given to those laid to rest in ancient times. And if we jump forward to the New Testament and we look at the writings of the Apostle Paul, we see that Paul often uses the greeting grace and peace in his letters. And many believe that Paul derived this greeting from this benediction in Numbers. And some have even gone so far as to say that these words are the Lord's Prayer of the Old Testament. So even with this little bit of information, we have a greater appreciation of this benediction of the words we hear almost every Sunday. And so with this perspective, let's now turn to God's Word and read for ourselves this glorious benediction. These words come from Numbers 6, Verses 22 through 27, it's page 118 in the Pew Bibles in front of you. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. Father, we ask that you would prepare our hearts to receive your word this morning, soften our hardened hearts, shine your light into the darkness of our souls, use your Holy Spirit to impress on us your message. May you give us ears to hear the specific words that you would have each of us hear. Convict us of our sin and, and change us by your word, we pray. Amen. The benediction we just read can accurately be summarized as a blessing just like my sermon title suggested. And these words make us feel good. They're good words to read at the end of a service. We know they were important 
to people thousands of years ago. But how are they a blessing? Why were people buried with these words? Why, why did Paul choose to incorporate them in his letters? And I think we can answer these questions with one central question. And that question is this. What is revealed from these words? And to that question, I'm going to give three answers. Number one is that the character of God is revealed. Verses 24 through 26 each have a specific character trait of God that we will unpack. So we'll start with verse 24. Verse 24 says that the Lord blesses and keeps his people. The first important note to make here is that God himself is the one who blesses. This isn't some generic God with a lowercase g that we're talking about here. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we see this in the word Lord in our text. All the letters are capitalized. And that indicates to us that this is Yahweh. Yahweh is the one who initiates blessing his people. As we see in verse 22, the Lord said, Yahweh said to Moses. But if we take this blessing one step further, we discover that not only does God initiate the blessing, but he is also very eager to bless us. Let's go back to the creation of man in the beginning of Genesis. Genesis 1.27 says that God created man in his own image, and then the very next verse, verse 28, says, God blessed them. Before God did anything else after he made mankind, he blessed us. Now, if we fast forward some chapters to chapter 8, we see God blessing Noah after the flood. Fast forward a few more chapters to chapter 12, and God pronounces to Abraham his blessing of all people. So from Adam to Eve to Noah and to Abraham... We see God's eagerness to bless his people in just the first 12 chapters of the Bible. And of course, we know that the blessing God gave to Abraham made its way to our current day today as well. A helpful way to look at the blessing of God is to look at the way patriarchal fathers declare their blessing on their children in the Old Testament. Take the blessing that Isaac gave Jacob, for example. Even though Isaac later found out that he blessed Jacob instead of Esau, he could not take his blessing back. This is the same type of blessing that God gives. It is declared and it is binding and it will not be taken back. And this is crucial to recognize because not only does God bless his people, but he keeps that blessing with his people too. The second part of verse 24 says that God keeps his people. Another way to say this would be that God guards and protects his people because they are his blessed people. The protection that comes from God is a direct result of his blessing. The Israelites were the vehicle that God used to bring his blessing to all nations. He guarded and protected his blessing through the Israelite people, through the generations, so that one day that blessing would become flesh. Even with all the sin of the Israelites, God did not forget his people, even when he could have many times. He guarded and protected his blessing for thousands of years so that he could pronounce a final blessing over all people. And we see this protection of his blessing at work today as well. The gospel is being spread even as sin runs wild all around us. The light and the darkness will not be extinguished as God guards and protects his blessing for his people. So God is eager to bless. He protects that blessing. Next in verse 25, we read that God is gracious. The second character trait of grace can be seen in the context of which this benediction is given. 
The first 10 chapters of Numbers and all of Leviticus, the book preceding Numbers, are describing the law of God. So here in number six, amidst all this law, a gracious blessing is given. Even more locally to number six, though, we see this pronouncement of grace. Numbers five, the chapter preceding, tells of how to handle adultery, adultery among spouses. And Numbers 6 describes the Nazarite vow. Nazarites were those who devoted themselves to God and to the obedience of his law. Yet look at verse 23 of this text. The word says Aaron is to bless the Israelites. In other words, this blessing is for all of Israel. Without this clarification, we could easily assume, just by given the location of these words, that this benediction would just be for the Nazarites because of their devotion. Yet because of God's grace, he blesses all people, even those who don't deserve it. One of the commentaries I read said it this way, and this is so helpful. Even though the placement of this passage emphasizes the keeping of various laws and rituals, the keeping of the law does not force God to be gracious. In fact, if the inferior party deserves the kindness, it would not be grace but payment. If this blessing was only for those who obeyed the law, then they would be receiving a payment, not grace. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. We are saved by what? Not by works, but by grace. Salvation is not a payment. It is God's grace. We would be left to condemnation if it weren't for the grace of God. Verse 26 reveals for us the third character trait of God, and that is peace. The peace of God that is being referred to here is a, it's a Hebrew word pronounced shalom. And shalom refers to the idea of everything being right and good. And as we read that, we understand that we cannot fully experience this peace yet on this side of eternity. But even so, being in the presence of God does give us access to peace through security. And as we have already discovered, God will guard and protect his people because of his blessing. His blessed people today are those who have life in Christ. As followers of Christ, we are blessed. And this in itself should give us a sense of peace. We may suffer, we may grieve, but the hope of eternal life can always be our peace. And I think Psalm 23, as you know, I love Psalm 23. I think Psalm 23 paints a beautiful picture of this. Verses 2 through 4 read, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So just picture in your minds what David is writing here. Put yourself in this picture, green grass, standing by a quiet stream, and in the comforting presence of our shepherd. And even though we walk through the dark valleys, we have nothing to fear because God is with us. Is there a better description of God's peace? Where is your peace found? God blesses, he guards and protects, he is gracious, and he gives us peace. 
What else does this benediction reveal to us? Secondly, it reveals the desire of God. The words of number six reveal to us that God desires to have a relationship with his people. Now, before I continue, I want to make something crystal clear. God does not desire a relationship with his people because we deserve it or because we have earned it. Just in case you were feeling good about yourselves, I thought I'd throw that in there. So often we are tempted by our pride to believe that we are wonderful and worthy of this glorious relationship with God. We think that if we do good things, God will find favor in us and then he'll want to be with us. But the truth is, we still find ways to disobey God no matter what good we do. If it weren't for God's work in us, if it weren't for his grace alone, we would never be in a relationship with him. Once again, let's look at the Israelites. God sought out a relationship with them. God sought out Abraham and Moses. Not because they were worthy, but because God desired to have a relationship with his people. We are wretched sinners, and God still desires to be with us. Psalm 8.4 asks this question, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Here the psalmist rightfully understands the beauty of this relationship that God seeks. The question from Psalm 8 isn't meant to give us a big head. It's to make us stop and realize that the God of the universe desires a relationship with us, even though we deserve to be left to ourselves and to destruction. Just marvel at the significance of that. The God of the universe, he holds the universe in his hand. That God wants to have a relationship with us. And here are a few reasons why we know God desires a relationship with his people. First off, he created us to be in a relationship with him. Before sin entered the world, humans and God were together. We are the ones who sabotage that relationship. Sin entered the world because of us. God didn't push us away. We disobeyed his word and ruined the perfect standing we had with him. We did that, not God. And yet, God still pursued a way to restore that relationship. Next, we know God desires a relationship with us because he gifted us his word. The book you're looking at, the book I prepared this sermon from, that book you have access to 24-7 is reason in itself that God wants a relationship with us. It is his word. He wrote it. He preserved it through thousands of generations. He translated it into many different languages. Also that we might read his words, repent of our sin, receive his gift of salvation, and, and through Jesus, reconcile our once broken relationship with him. Even before his written word, though, God still made a way that his people could hear his words. Throughout the history of God's people, God called prophets to preach his word. Through divine conversations and visions, God made his word accessible to his people. If we come back to the context of our text this morning, we see this. God speaks to Moses, Yahweh speaks to Moses, and then Moses gives the word of God to the Israelites. God gave Moses his law, too. God told Moses how to build the tabernacle, and he did all this 
so that he could still keep a relationship intact with his people. I mean, it certainly wasn't a perfect relationship. There had to be a mediator between God and his people. But nevertheless, God laid out this instruction so that he, a holy God, could dwell with his sinful people. Again, God was the one initiating all of this because he desires a relationship with his people. The third reason we know that God desires a relationship with us is because he says so. As I'm sure you've noticed by now, this benediction uses the imagery of God's face. And I call this imagery because God the Father, Yahweh, is a spirit. He doesn't have a literal face. Yet he uses the imagery of a face to describe his desire for his people. The Hebrew word for face can mean the presence of someone. So the phrase in verse 25, make his face shine on you, can best be described as someone standing in front of you, smiling at you. In other words, someone looks kindly at you. Their face isn't turned away. They aren't avoiding eye contact. They're looking you square in the face, smiling at you. God desires to be present among us and to smile at us. Think about that beautiful image. Our God desires a relationship with us to the extreme that when the Israelites broke their covenant with God, he promised a new and better one to come. The prophet Jeremiah spoke of this new covenant that God would give. Jeremiah 31 verses 31 through 34 says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. When Moses was up on Mount Sinai receiving God's law, what were the people doing? They're building an idol for themselves. I've heard this compared to a spouse having an affair the day of their wedding. Yet God continues to make his covenant with his adulterous people. When God seemingly divorces his people because of their unfaithfulness, what does he do? He promises a new and better covenant to come. God desires a relationship with his horrible, sinful people, not because we have earned it, but because he desires it. The final reason we know that God desires a relationship with us is that he made a way to walk among us. We're going to explore this reason more in the final answer of what is revealed from this text this morning. So we have seen the character of God. We have discovered the desire of God. And finally, this benediction showers us with the love of God. And to discover this, this third answer, we look at verse 26 and specifically the phrase, the Lord turn his face toward you. Again, we see the imagery of God's face as a description of his posture towards us. Much like how God's face smiles at us, this phrase again expresses God's feelings. 
So God turning his face toward us is much like God looking favorably at us. But perhaps the best way to understand this phrase would would be to look at its opposite. In Deuteronomy 31, we see God telling Moses that God will hide his face from the Israelites because they will turn to other gods in the promised land. Essentially saying the same thing that we read in Jeremiah. Moses tells the people that many disasters and calamities will come on the people because God will no longer be with them. God, for the time being, will not look favorably on his people. His face will be hidden from his people. But as Jeremiah wrote, there would be coming a time when a new covenant would be made with God's people, one that would perfectly display God's desire for relationship and one that would perfectly display God's love for his people. So let's just think about the progression of events we have looked at so far. God creates man. Man sins and destroys the relationship. God promises a blessing and to restore the relationship, and he protects that blessing. He makes a way to dwell with his sinful people in the tabernacle and through his law. And the people sin while God is making a covenant with them, but God continues the covenant anyway. God delivers them to the promised land as promised, and they turn away from him. So what does God do? He leaves them temporarily, but he still promises a new and better presence to come. Fast forward 600 years later, God's desire and love for his people would be made manifest in the person of Jesus Christ. God's presence would return. And it would return in the most intimate and personable way possible. He would become, God would become like you and I. He would walk among us. He would announce that his kingdom is at hand because God so loved the world, he would not hide his face forever. Instead, he would turn his face toward us again. But there is a problem standing in our way. Sin. Sin prevents us from being with our Holy Father for eternity. Sin keeps us from seeing the face of God for eternity. God announces to Moses that While he is a God abounding in steadfast love, he is also a God who will not leave the guilty unpunished. He is a just God, and therefore sin must be dealt with. And this is why God set up the sacrificial system of animals when he gave his people his law. This is why God's dwelling was contained to a special room of the tabernacle, and only the high priest could enter it once a year. Sin requires blood. And sin that is not atoned for leaves us out of the arms of our Father. For as Paul wrote in Galatians, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. The problem for us then is that we can't do everything written in the book of the law. The problem for us then is sin leaves us cursed. And this is how we know God desires a loving relationship with us. This is how we know he desires to turn his face toward us. He sent his son to take that curse of sin on our behalf. He sent his son to shed his blood for us. He sent his son to wash away every sin. He sent his son to pierce our hard hearts and bring light to our blackened souls. 
But this is what else would happen when Jesus died on the cross. Matthew 27, 51 says, At this moment, meaning Jesus' death, at this moment, Jesus' death, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. No longer was a mediator needed between us and God. No longer was the high priest the only one who could stand before God once a year. No longer was sin remembered. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not be eternally separated from God, but have eternal life and spend eternity in the presence of God. Jesus restored the relationship with God that we sinful beings destroyed. Jesus is the reason that God can declare this benediction on his people forever. Jesus is our source of blessing and protection. Jesus is the reason God makes his face smile on us. God's only son is the very evidence of God's grace. Jesus allows God to turn his face toward us once again with love and favor. The hope of Jesus is our peace. Even if we feel like God is at a distance, we turn to these words and know they are true. When life tramples us into the ground, we turn to these words and know there is a God who is near and there is a God who loves us. We can confidently say that God desires a loving relationship with us. God doesn't just want a relationship with us for a short while. He doesn't want to just love us for a season. God's desire is not to have his face hidden from us, but to turn his face toward us and to look on us with favor for eternity. And we know all of this because of Jesus. This benediction is a blessing because no matter what we have done or what we are going through, these words can ring true for us. This benediction is a blessing because it calls us to Jesus. Do you believe that Jesus took the curse of sin on your behalf and is your only source of hope? Do you believe that? This benediction is a blessing because it reminds us of the lavish grace of our Father. Have we taken that grace and thrown it in the garbage? Let us repent of our idolatry. Repent of our misuse of his grace. Repent of our foolish pride causing us to think that we are worthy of relationship with God. May we repent and rest in Jesus' work on our behalf. May we turn our eyes to Jesus and hear these words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And these words are true for us because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, God says that we will be his people and he will bless us. Receive Jesus this morning. Repent and find these beautiful words waiting for you at the foot of the cross. Let's pray. God, we, we are worthy of nothing but death. Yet in your great love for us, you pursue us and make a way for us to be alive, a way for us to be with you for eternity. Thank you for Jesus' work on our behalf. We ask that you forgive us of our misuse of your love and grace. Forgive us for thinking that we deserve you, Lord. 
We pray that each time we hear these words, we're, we're reminded of your blessing and protection, your grace and peace, your desire for us, and your love for us. We praise you and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.